Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Hi everyone, it's Jennifer Shinkai here from Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. Before we dive into the episode today with David McDonald, just to give you a content warning, David and I have a frank discussion about mental illness, depression, suicide. And so if you are feeling like you want to avoid this, maybe this is not the episode for you. Uh, but also if you're feeling that this might be useful and you want to get some other help for yourself in Japan, you can contact Tokyo English Lifeline. That's telljp.com. Uh, we'll have links in the show notes as well. And please find local resources. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this episode with David. Really inspiring and honest uh, perspective on what Ikigai looks like when getting out of bed is the reason to get out of bed. Thank you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. I'm your host, Jennifer Shinkai. And with me today is a very interesting guest. And we had this conversation to start this, I feel like in the spring, maybe it was like, or the summer, it's been a while. And then I kept saying, oh, no, sorry, we can't meet now. Something's happened, something's happened. But finally, here we are in December with David McDonald. And um, we have a very interesting conversation lined up for you because David, I have only met once in person. And I'm not sure I really met you in as much that you became aware of me, but I was very aware of you and the power of your story in, I think, I'm trying to remember when this conference was. And I want to say 2021, it was the Tell Conference, or 2022, thank you. It was a Tell Conference about mental health. And I do feel like it was one of the first opportunities for face-to-face -face in Tokyo. So it was really freeing to be there. And so David currently is the CEO of an independent advisory and consulting firm. And he's going to talk a little bit about media and tech later on and supporting startups. But when I was meeting you, you were talking about, but you were at Discovery at the time, right? GM, um, president for Japan. And you were talking about the experience that you'd had with your mental illness diagnosis and how that had happened throughout your career, what had been driving that. So David has worked with Disney, Google, with YouTube that I love, my, my son loves too much. And now also you are an independent director for Kadokawa Corporation. And I want to talk about the Kadokawa Library another time and that amazing center <laughs> that they have. But that's a conversation for a different session. But as I was saying, David made this speech and it was the first time I had heard a senior male leader speak with such openness, vulnerability and dignity about a really challenging experience that they had. And I just thought, I'm getting chills remembering it now. What a gift for all of us in this world to have 
someone who will share their experience and someone who will help us to understand what's going on because mental illness of course is something which can affect anyone but also there's always someone around us that we don't know what they're dealing with and what they're suffering so just the ability as well from your story to share a sense of empathy and I just thought it was I I really wanted to have you on the podcast to share a little bit about that so people could understand that story and feel those chills that I felt and and, and get that sem- sense of empathy as well. But also to to talk about Ikigai from a concept of mental illness and mental health, because it can be a bit kind of toxic, po- toxic positivity. I just made a new word, toxic positivity and everything has to be amazing. And when we were planning this call and having this recording, you wrote in our briefing notes, sometimes my reason to get out of bed is a reason to, is to get out of bed, right? The reason to get out of bed is to get out of bed. And I just thought that was so beautiful and simple. So welcome, David, to the podcast. Thank you for that kind introduction, Jennifer. Thank you very much. And good evening, good morning, and good night for <laughs> wherever folks are listening. Uh, yes. So maybe you could start actually a little bit background story about yeah. what what brought you to Japan in the first place it's always interesting to hear so yeah sure what got you here let's see it's a bit of a complicated story but I'll try and make it simple yeah, so bottom line it. <laughs> many of us I came here first to teach English uh, in a very small fishing village in northern Japan but the journey to get here was a little bit twisty and turny so I, I actually didn't want to come wasn't my idea it was a friend of mine who was very insistent we both go apply, we both go to the embassy for the interviews. He didn't get in the first year on the JET program, and I did. <laughs> but still, here I am 30 years later, we're still good friends, and I hope he doesn't hate me too much. But that got me to Japan the first time, and I just fell in love with the country, with the people. And in my third year on the JET program, I met a woman in two towns up the coast, and I fell in love with her. And so... The rest is history. I've been here ever since. Thing, and then obviously you you left teaching because mm-hmm. you didn't go from a teaching role to being the GM of uh, Discovery overnight. So, what was your career journey from there? Yes, yeah. I think I've been very fortunate mm-hmm. in my corporate career over about twenty five years, and I started off with NTT Docomo, the mobile phone carrier. In 1999, in the year we launched the iMode service, which very few young folks remember today, but it was before the iPhone. And it was, (laughs) A, the most popular internet service in Japan at the time, but also worldwide, it was the most popular way of accessing the internet through your phone. Uh, So I spent about five years there focused on mainly content development for the, the service, working with partners, but also working a lot with Docomo overseas in Europe and elsewhere. And that got me sort of the content bug. And from there, I ended up going to Disney, doing a similar job, but on the other side, at the content side of the business. And then from there, bouncing back to the platform side to YouTube and Google, where I spent about nine years. And without making a long story longer, I joined when the most popular YouTuber in Japan was a cat. And one of our first missions was to help develop a YouTuber ecosystem. So myself and our team, we focused on talent spotting 
many YouTubers who are today very big, like Hikakin, for example, who is one of the you know, big famous YouTubers who's yeah. done very well for himself. He mm. was a relatively small YouTuber with only 10,000 subs when we first met him and found him and helped him craft his channel and career thereafter. So we did that for about nine years. And then from there, I transitioned into more of a management role focused on discovery. So back on the content side of the business. And there, it was also a bit of a journey with twists and turns. Discovery, of course, is a very well-known brand or was a very well-known brand worldwide, not as well-known here in mm. Japan and mainly on pay TV, which is not that big. But then we had the pandemic and we had a number of other twists and turns along the way. And in 2022, we merged with Warner Brothers or Warner Media, uh, becoming Warner Brothers Discovery. There you go. And that brings us to here. So first of all, I'm a little bit horrified to know that you are responsible for Hikakin, whose voice I hear often in my house, <laughs> not with joy. Well, it's, so it's, now I, I know who to write my... But <laughs> it, sorry, it was one you... of the guys on my team or one of the people on my team at the time who was very passionate about finding your young unknown talent and he found Tiki Keen and reached out and the rest is history yes yes a horrible history for me but <laughs> boy done good well done Hika Keen and obviously your team member who could spot talent and how to nurture the talent was bang on he's amazingly popular and yeah I, I hear him a lot but now I know who to write my sternly worded email to <laughs> a letter of complaint but whilst all this was going on, David, you were also dealing with depression right? and later a diagnosis came. So could you share a little bit about what it was like having those two things, this successful externally, seeing like outward, upwardly mobile career and then a very challenging mental health situation? Yeah. So yeah, in 2010, about a year or two after I joined Google and YouTube, even before we started finding the first YouTube talent, I hit a bit of a wall of depression. Not just a bit of a wall, but a pretty massive brick wall. And it was brought on, I think, by a lot of ambition, a lot of go. The culture of Google and YouTube especially in those years, was very much still that of a tech startup, mm -hmm. lots of work. And the pace I discovered was probably about 10 or 20 times faster than the, what had been at Disney. And I had always been what I thought was a high performer. It's hard to say that myself, but I had done well in my career so far. But I think it just caught up with me, mm -hmm. to say simply. And in 2010, I remember it was the spring, it was the season of Sakura, cherry blossoms, and everyone's quite happy outside. But I just couldn't get out of bed. Quite frankly, everything from not being able to get out of bed in the morning through to if I ever finally got to work after a lot of absenteeism along the way. Uh, one of the great things about Google is we had a lot of massage chairs. Mm. So I could go run away and hide in the massage chair and spend the day there without having to face all the, the challenges I was facing. And anybody who's faced depression will know it feels like you're worthless. There's nothing going right. Why are you here? 
and eventually you lose your way. And in 2010, when you search for you know, suicide, let's say, on Google, now it comes up with a warning, gives you a link to towel or some other hot, right. hotline or helpline. In 2010, it didn't. And I started having really dark thoughts. And my wife didn't really know how to handle it. And I'm so thankful because one day, one of our HR business partners or people in culture business partners found me. He had seen all the science. He had seen my absenteeism, had seen my long hours in the massage chairs, had heard a little bit from my team that I wasn't quite there anymore. Mm. And he pulled me aside and took me into a room and said, David, I think you might have some challenges or problems to, to get sorted out. And within a day or two, he had got me an appointment with our company doctor. That doctor was very quick to say, I think you've got depression. You need a, a break. Let's get you to see a, a proper psychiatrist. And I was quite lucky that I was able to get into a psychiatrist pretty quickly. Mm. And within a week, I had seen somebody. And already I was not feeling better by any means, but now I knew something was wrong with me officially. And a lot of those dark thoughts started to slowly rise up again or disappear. So the, what I'm hearing is there was quite a lot of, like within the isolation of it, holds it, holds the grip tighter. And then the importance of having individuals who understand what to look out for mm -hmm. and then being able to say in a way which yeah. can be heard in the timing exactly. which can be heard exactly. um that in your case shifted the mode it's not the isolation i'm not dealing with this on my own and then yeah. obviously the ability to quickly refer you said that you were able to see someone within a week is that normal in Japan, I, I don't know. Obviously, it, it you, might. And look, I, I'm yeah. not an expert yet. I hope to learn a lot more your about the, yeah. the psychiatry profession mm. here in Japan. At the time, I had the. I was lucky that I lived close to a university hospital that had a mental clinic, and they were quite quick to take me on board as a patient, and I stayed there as a patient for a number of years before I realized it was probably better to go to a different clinic that wasn't the university hospital, only that the doctors didn't change every six months because it's a teaching hospital and they right, tend to rotate. Um, and even that clinic, it didn't take me long to become a patient. Having said that today, when I talk to others with similar challenges, I think the waiting lines are a little bit longer. You can't just walk in necessarily off the street uh, and say, I have a problem mm -hmm. as easily as perhaps I, I could 12 years ago or okay. more than that, 14 years ago, which is either a sign of positive movement that people are becoming more open yeah. and able to go and see a doctor or negative in that more people are out there with more challenges. Yeah. So you have to read that in, on, in two ways, I think. Yeah, it's very hard to know that one, yeah. the, the cause and effect piece, because it is definitely... I think a net positive that more people are talking with doctors and getting professional help. But as you say, what's the, what are the trends in terms of actual suffering for want of a better yeah. word? And yeah. I think you're doing quite a lot of work around advocating around mental health and mental illness in 
workplaces and schools, right? I try to, right? I was very lucky in that I had a good HR partner who recognized the signs, got me mm. into the proper you know, treatment fairly early. And I had a good workplace or at least a good set of colleagues and managers who were very understanding and were allowed me to take the time I needed. So mm. my boss at the time was an ex F-18 naval aviator who was named Tom, was not Tom Cruise, not Cruise. but he looked a little <laughs> bit more like Maverick. Maverick maybe than Tom Cruise, <laughs> but sorry, maybe a little more like Iceman than Maverick, okay. but well, that's all right. he, he was still very cool about the whole thing. Maybe too cool, but his comment to me on the video conference with headquarters in San Bruno was, look, if the doc has grounded you, you're grounded in a very aviator kind of way. And I felt that gave me the permission to go get myself well to fly again. And those very simple words, you gave me some reassurance and confidence that Mm. once I got my, you know, flight permission back again, I'd be back in, in the cockpit. And my colleagues around me, of course, I was very open with them about I need to take a couple of months off, actually three months in total. Mm. And they are all super supportive. When you have this challenge, you think, oh God, I can't tell anybody. You don't know what to do. My mind is running away crazy. And to be able to open up and realize that once you do, people actually do understand and care Mm. tends to really change one's mindset. Mm. And I was quite lucky in that workplace that I could do that. Just a added on example of why I learned later, it's better to be open and advocate for mental illness. About a year or two later, our team began to grow. We were scouting more YouTubers. Uh, and one of the women on my on the team, we were doing our 360 feedback and gave me some pretty negative feedback to say, look, David's not there for me. Sometimes he's not at the office and certain signs that we'll get into my diagnosis and you know what my challenges are in a second, but she was feeling I was letting her down. So I took her to lunch one day and I mm-hmm. gave her the whole story. And once she knew the story, her mindset again, shifted a hundred percent to be much more supportive and positive and because she was new to the team, I hadn't thought about as part of her onboarding process, by the way, your boss deals with bipolar disorder. This wasn't one of the things on my checklist at the time. But then (laughs) as I started to develop further within that organization, I I made it part of my checklist. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So looking ahead on the honesty and openness to share with people. So that expectation management and what it might be actually like just as you say to people I'm not going to check my emails at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night and I don't expect you Mm. to either it's in that same coolness I like the way that your Iceman aviator boss Tom was was talking about it not sure he'd like me to call him Iceman yeah yeah. take it out of the podcast later we'll see (laughs) 
We'll just call him Tom then. But there's something as well, actually, from his sharing too, it's coming up for me about why, like the, if you came and you said, I've got cancer, okay, go to hospital, get yourself well, no judgment or something, some physical illness. But when it comes to mental health, it gets murky um, yeah. around that. And I, I actually think it's great that when, as a society, we treat both the same. Yeah. We don't quite yet. I no, I'm saying we, that's my utopia. Yeah, um, yeah. There's still a stigma, of course, attached yeah. to mental challenges. I don't like to say illnesses necessarily, but mental mm. challenges. There's some different levels of challenge depending on what challenge you have right in my case just to get a bit more on the diagnoses and mm. the, the, the management I was first diagnosed with depression I presented with depression the doctor treated me as depression for a number of months and then the gold standard for diagnosis in the mental health space is usually just a list of questions and answers and based on those questions and answers in the manual of mental illnesses, they try to map where they think mm. you are in that sort of list of illnesses. In, in my case, I presented as depression, but through the questioning and answering over a number of sessions and months, um, the doctor realized I probably have bipolar disorder, mm. which means you've got good days and bad days, ups and downs, or traditionally known as manic depressive. And that helps to sometimes have you on a high, you're very creative, you're very energetic. And that's, I think, what I had been experiencing for a number of my working years. But then for some reason, a trigger might trigger you, often it's earlier in life than my case, is about 35 when I was diagnosed, mm. but trigger something and you often hit a, a wall, often it's depression first, or it's a psychotic incident of some sort, which puts you the other way. And then you have to be treated and understand how to, to manage it. Unfortunately, bipolar disorder doesn't go away. It's an illness of, of the wiring of, of your synapses or your wires in your brain, but it can be managed and it can fully functional. I'll be as, a, as I've been as a businessman or an advocate for this over the last few years. I, I remember when we spoke, you encouraged me to uh, listen to a couple of uh, podcasts with uh, Andy Dunn, which I went off mm -hmm. and did. I'm like, yeah, that's Andy Dunn. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the comments he made, which really uh, resonated was that, and as you just described then, many of the behaviors that we link to someone who's a hustler and on the go and like the absolute like <laughs> kind of startup is that's actually someone who is having potentially a, a manic period? Sorry, I'm very mm. bad on the language, so please correct me yes, yep, on the correct terminology. Yeah, a, a, a manic period or, yeah, exactly. Thank you. And so there's a lot driving. That seems like that's the behavior of success. Mm. Um, but we're not aware of the, the other side of the bipolar disorder. And then, so it, it can, I imagine, be quite hard for people to suddenly have that cognitive dissonance around who is this mm. David? And you're like, mm. actually, it's always been here <laughs> now, right? Yeah. And in my case, I've been lucky in that my symptoms have never presented as 
a real psychotic incident. Mm. You often have Andy Dunn describes thinking he's Jesus, right? Or the mm. second coming and things like that. I've luckily never had that type of symptom, but the highs and lows do come. And in my case, they tend to cycle a little bit more often uh, than other forms of bipolar. And so some days, back to our original comment early on in the podcast, sometimes just the reason for getting up in the morning is to get up in the morning. If I can just do that some days, I'm quite happy mm-hmm. and I can have a good day. And that's how I sort of cycle, unfortunately, through bipolar. Having said all that, it's manageable mm. if you do things the right way. And I, I've tried to study and learn over the years that medication is an important fundamental and foundation. I think walking away from medication is probably, at least from my experience, not the, the best thing to do. I think that's uh, a foundation. But on top of medication, you have to think about your lifestyle. How do you treat your routines to make Mm -hmm. sure you have a positive daily routine where things happen in the same rhythms? Your bedtime should be about the same time every night. Your waking time about the same. Getting a proper amount of sleep every night. And then exercise, a little bit of mindfulness. And it all comes into play in order to help in a holistic way to help manage the challenges. And if you can manage those, and I have good days and bad days, but if you can manage those effectively, then you can operate equally well, as equally well as the next person. And there's a lot to be said, isn't it, for everyone actually, about having rhythms and rituals. Like the the word that came to mind was like maintenance. What are the maintenance things that are becoming habitual so that when I have a bad day, I'm still doing those things that are going to help me. Because I think when uh, I have a bad day, that's the easiest time for habits to be forgotten. And I want wondering about those ways that you make it. So it's just like brushing your teeth, but then some days like brushing your teeth is too much as well, right? I'm not <laughs> going to see anyone anyway, so it doesn't matter. And I'm disgusting. So I'll just sit in my own grim morning breath. Anyway, but with that, I wanted to just go back one more step before I want to come back to the theme of maintenance and and biometrics as is a a future topic we're going to talk about today. I was just thinking something about you, you shared about with your colleague and it made me think it's, you have to come out, Mm. right? Are you, are you constantly coming out about your diagnosis? What's Mm. like the burden for you on that? Mm. Or is it a burden? Maybe it's not. For better or for worse, I, I don't, find it as much of a burden today as perhaps I might have a few years ago. And I've learned along the way that more often than not, even folks who you thought, at least around me, and maybe I've been very lucky again in life, but are more understanding and in you know, one degree or two degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon, mm-hmm. there, there's somebody out there they might know also with similar right. struggles. I was, when I joined Discovery as a general mm-hmm. manager, one of the questions on the interview was not, do you suffer from any mental illness? Right. And they didn't say, do you have bipolar disorder? I didn't hide anything. I wasn't exactly forthcoming in mm. the being hired for that role, that job. 
I don't know what would have happened in 2018 if I had been honest in the interview process. And if mm -hmm. I went to another corporate role in the future, I think I would be honest in the inter yeah. interview process when it got to that point and see the reaction and see if that company is for me. Yeah. But I went through a year or two or three, actually, at Discovery. And as we hit the first year of the pandemic, 2000 and 2020, I hit another wall. It wasn't as bad as the first wall I had hit back in, in 2010. Uh, but we had a tough year business-wise, mm. as well as lockdowns and everything else, as, as everyone knows. And it was then and only then that I called my then boss, not Simon, sorry, not Tom this time, but yeah. someone named Simon. And I, I opened up to him and mm. said, look, I haven't told you this before, but, and I didn't know how he was going to react, but he reacted as Tom had a couple of 10 years before, and maybe even better because we were able to have even deeper discussions about it 10 years on. Right. And again, without worrying about involving HR or any process, he said, look, you need some time off. You take the time. I'll step in with another member of my team and we'll keep in touch once a week and see how things are going, but mm. decompress. And so I regret not having been open walking into the role when I mm -hmm. look back on it. Yeah. When I opened up both my boss at the time, my manager at the time, as well as all of my direct reports and the whole company at that point, I opened up to everybody again. And it felt once more so relieving or right. uh, that I could do it again. And so when the opportunity came up to a sponsor, the Talon uh, American Chamber event mm. uh, in 2022, but also to speak as the opening uh, speaker, I thought it was the right time for me to be even further open, not just with the people who work with me closely, but with overall that, that group of peers in Japan. And since then, I've tried to be even more open. I've done a TED Talk for my daughter's school. I've done some other things like that. And I hope to be even more of an advocate and help people be aware that all types of mental illnesses are manageable and people can still contribute equally. Mm -hmm. And as you say, whether it's cancer or uh, a mental illness or some other form of, of challenge you might have, they're all equally uh, manageable. And we need to be as inclusive as we can with those type of challenges too. Mm. Yeah, I, I love that sharing. And it, it's back, you said there was some great advice, a, a strong talking to that your daughter gave you actually about the <laughs> the theme. Yes, exactly. So I, I just said I have ups and downs, I have rough patches, I have good, good streaks or lucky streaks. And once when I hit a rough patch i was walking into the shopping mall with my daughter who at the time was eight and she looked up at me and knew i was going through a bit of a rough patch and said you just got to be honest dad and this is an eight-year-old telling her at the time 49 year old father that just be honest and that was inspiring words for me to try and be honest with those around me honest with my wife my daughter, of course, as well, my doctor, because without the honesty, it's very hard to really be able to coexist and co-live 
<laughs> together to make sure that we're having a happy life. Yeah. And honest, yeah, honest with yourself as well about like, how actually am I today? How am I yeah. doing? Yeah. Um, and one other thing, because it sounds like you had, you said you've been lucky, but I would also like to educate the audience. So when your colleague or friend, loved one, whoever is honest and says, hey, this is what's going on with me. Here's my diagnosis. Here's what's happening. What do you, what would you want to hear? You can only speak for yourself. Mm what you mm. would want to hear so of course great diversity in the world not everybody who is experiencing this will want to hear the same thing but what was it that you you wanted to hear and then when you heard it you were like yes I think not everybody understands and it's hard to expect everybody to understand because mm. they may not have experienced them themselves or they haven't done the research. I, I've read so many books and listened to so yeah. many podcasts and watched so many videos about um, the topic to try and understand better myself. But it's not understanding, but allowing, in this case, me, let's say, to do what I need to do to get better. Hmm. To take a couple of examples, it was my naval aviator boss saying, if you're grounded, yeah. give me the permission to do what I needed to do to get hmm. better. When it was, when I was at Discovery, it was that boss at the time. But then all, also my managers around me who said, David, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being open and do what you need to do to get better. And that was uh, what I needed to hear. They didn't have to understand exactly. They didn't have to go off and research and overdiagnose me or re-diagnose me. They just gave me permission to go do what I had to do to get better. And that's what I would like to hear in my case. I'm not sure if that's helpful to others or helpful to those who have people they know who have challenges that they would like mm -hmm. to talk to or have to talk to. Yeah, but it's one perspective. And I think it's uh, so the perspective of, like acknowledgement that it might have been difficult to share depending on what the relationship is. I think it's always mm -hmm. good to hear gratitude and, and respect for that. And then please get well. And maybe yeah. it's something about don't let me get in the way of you getting well. Let me not be a blocker to your mm. your health. Let me be a, I don't know what to do to help you, but I don't want to be, yeah. I don't want to cause more it, stress, it's... right? Because it sounds like the people you worked with remove themselves from it not in a distancing themselves Negative way, way but, but, in but in a... A, if you're seeing your doctor if you're taking your medication if you're doing what you need to do to get better mm. that's your primary focus right now yeah. don't worry about the office don't worry about this that that's your job right now yeah. is to get better and right. once you're <laughs> permission to recover yeah yeah and once the doc has said you can fly again we'll get back in the cockpit okay. right that's yeah, my I'm ready for you yeah and then in that meantime then you can go off and educate yourself and find out more and, and understand, right? Because yeah. yeah. it's a valuable thing. And, and as many of our colleagues will and loved ones will be coming up against these challenges throughout yeah. their life. However, here's a nice segue into challenges around our life because you have come up to a new opportunity kind of based on your experience and, and your networks as well. And, and an interest in what does what's possible in advance 
how do we know more about the human body, yeah. the human brain? How can we use tech to support that? Yeah, so, tell me more. So I had the privilege of working in a very corporate role for a number of years, as we talked about. And at the end of last year, I decided to move on in my career and take a bit of a pivot or a second life, so to speak. Mm. And through that, I'm doing a number of advising and consulting and things like that. But the one I'm most excited about right now, I'd like to share with the listeners, is the work of a Japanese startup called The Tech Doctors, which is fairly obvious by the name. But what they're doing is they are taking data from the wearables we all have now, whether it be your Fitbit watch or your, I have also an aura ring that tracks my sleep and other data. And it takes the data, of course, with permission and then anonymizes the data. And what it does as a company is it runs through a number of algorithms and smart data scientists to try and determine biomarkers of certain illnesses and those biomarkers basically based on your heart rate variability or a number of other types of, of data that they can track would help either in the diagnostic stage of some illness or in the therapeutic stage and so they work both with pharmaceutical companies and others to help better in the development of treatment but also with doctors at the point of, of, of care with the patients to help better diagnose. And why I was attracted to this company, funnily enough, two of the people who worked there, the CEO and the CEO were both team members of mine at Discovery. One who sat in the room at the Tell and American Chamber event that day. And they both realized that because this company had been developed off the back of some research done at the at Keio University at the psychiatric department, my passion for the area of mental health would match very well with their passion to take more real world, real time data to help in better and earlier diagnostics and better therapeutics for people like myself. Yeah, I said before that I was I presented with depression, I was diagnosed with depression first, but my real challenge wasn't really figured out for a few months later, which meant that a different set of medication was needed and right. a different treatment style was needed. If we had potentially the right data and biomarkers in 2020, when I first presented that said, this might be something closer to bipolar than to just regular, to depression, mm -hmm. clinical depression, then I might've been able to get diagnosed faster and and being treated better for the, the right condition. Mm -hmm. We're still a long way from having perfect diagnostics and these things will take time. And the process of doing this analysis with a large cohort of, of monitors takes time. But What's exciting for me is, especially having come from a, a world like Google or YouTube, where our whole company was running on data, yeah. it's basically taking the same type of logic, uh, but then trying to improve our daily lives through the data of these wearables we have with us all the time, not just for mental illness, but other illnesses too. So I think it's one of these things to watch this space. And hopefully that the tech doctors and others 
can do a lot of great work. And I hope I can be a great evangelist for what they're doing, just given my personal experience. Yeah, it would be very interesting to track how do we, what are the biomarkers for Ikigai? And how yeah. does that show up <laughs> in people? I know there's a there's some, some psychometric tools and lots of researches happening uh, around Japan, uh, but it's often not changing uh, now. But previous, a, a lot of the Ikigai research was around the elderly population um, yeah. and connected to longevity. Um, but as you know from uh, the podcast and, and the things that I talk about, I'm very focused on what's my quality of life right now. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm not so bothered how long I'd like to be. Of course, I have to be here for a long time. I don't know, depends. But I want to make sure that whilst I'm here, um, getting the the quality, the highest quality of life for myself, and then spreading that to to others as well, if they want it. Hmm. Maybe they don't. Not everybody wants it. That's yeah. also fine. But yeah, so that's really interesting to put those put those pieces together of of your life. So we're coming towards the end of our time together. And I always ask mm -hmm. the same two questions. So the first question is, what is the question I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? Or you wish I'd asked you? I, I guess we talked a little bit about it in my own experiences, but how to potentially spot the signs mm. of some sort of mental illness usually it's depression is often how it first presents and then how to say hey are you okay and it's tough and i mentioned my own case it's you know absenteeism struggles at work not being focused when you're at work being not there mm. either physically or mentally both and things you can't see, dark thoughts and other things. But if you see that often with someone, I, I guess it's hard to go say, hey, do you have, are you depressed? That's a little bit too direct. Mm -hmm. But it's asking, I've noticed that you're not, you're a bit being distracted recently mm. or you're don't seem to be feeling as well as usual. Is everything okay? And trying with that first. And I've been, because I've experienced when I see team members who are showing some of the signs, I've been able to sit down with them separately and mm. ask them, are you okay? And they usually put on a brave face. And then this is before I was open in my last, Right. of discovery mm. they would and i would usually say here's my story and then they would often open up with me and we'd go through the process i had gone through 10 years before so i, I tend to have a little bit of a better radar for these things than often many because i've lived through it yeah but it's trying to see those signs in your colleagues your friends mm. your family not being blunt about it and saying are you depressed or do you have a problem but rather, I've noticed you're not quite there. That's another bad way of saying it. You're not, yeah, you're, you're feeling not, distracted. Yeah. Right? You're, you're not, you're, Something's are you okay? Something's different with you. Something's different yeah, with you. Exactly. Yeah. And find the right words to ask in a open-ended way that allows the your friend or your colleague or your family mm -hmm. member to try and be open. Yeah. And then 
help them find the help they need. Right. So and um, people can find, I think, in, in many different places on the internet, like lists of, of things to look for. So it is worth having a little research after this call and, and just having that because especially, uh, I'm not quite sure when we'll release this, but we're recording this towards the, the end of the year and the holidays are a very difficult time and a crunch point for a lot of people as well. So it's good to just be aware and ask. Yeah, and, and no, just as a final caveat, mm. I am not a psychiatrist or a, I'm not a counselor. And so... I, I'm talking from my own experience and mm. what I've done as a business leader and manager yes. and how I would like to help evangelize mm. this topic. But at the same time, as you said, looking for the right help and resources for people from professionals is the first step once you see there's a, a challenge to go address. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And um, And if there's one thing that uh, the audience takes away from our conversation today. One thing you really want them to remember, David, what would that be? Yeah, so this is going to sound maybe a little cliche, but at the same time, especially in Japan, I think especially in Japan, others might disagree, understanding that it's okay to share and be vulnerable. Um, as a leader, as a sports person, as a politician, or even just as an ordinary person. <laughs> and I think we too often, even today, still see vulnerability as weakness. And it's not. Hopefully, shows that you're more compassionate, you're a better listener, as well as showing that you too are not imperfect and allowing those you work with those who are your family those who are your team members can also be vulnerable with you so i think that's my key takeaway and we talk about vulnerability and leadership especially in western society cultures and countries i don't think we talk about it enough in japan yet and i think that Japan could also benefit from a little bit more vulnerability and leadership and and others to help society at large. Definitely. Thank you for bringing that. Uh, about a week ago, uh, I was in a, in a workshop with a group of leaders across Asia Pacific, and this very topic came up and they were very vulnerable in the group coaching session, but there was a resistance. How can I be like this with my team? Um, that fear, that fear of showing I'm not perfect. I don't have mm. all the answers. Mm. And there are things which I find hard too. People were feeling very constrained by the expectation mm. of who a leader should be and, and how they should be. So I think role models like yourself, David, who are blasting open the doors and, and just being out there and sharing, it's really powerful to give permission to other people as well as followers, maybe how we are judging and, and what type of pedestal we're putting our leaders on. And, and is it fair? Is it appropriate for to, to expect people to, to have this level of perfection, as you say, and to, to never struggle? So getting that balance, I think, is really important. 
So thank you so much for a, thank you so a much fascinating, for the educational and really interesting discussion. And I hope that people take away a lot of valuable information and mindsets as well about how to support themselves and to support other people that they care about. So you'll be able to see all of uh, David's links down, uh, down below. Maybe we can get your TED Talk as well. I don't know if it's that's publicly available. We'd be great to have if it is. If not, no problem. But Tell's links will, of course, be here. And if anyone is ever feeling any kind of way, as I hope you're taking away from this session today, just talk to someone you're not alone and that you deserve to be here and we want you to be here. So stay with us. Um, yeah. Thank you very much, David. And uh, wishing you all the best for your yeah, endeavors you. with tech doctors. I can't wait to see what happens from that too. And myself as well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you all very right. much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for your invite today. Thank you. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening all the way to the end. I hope you enjoyed that conversation between myself and David. If you are looking for support or you know someone who would like to get some support around the issues that we raised about mental health today, if you're in Japan, you can contact Tokyo English Lifeline on telljp.com and you can also access, I'm sure, wherever you are in the world, there are many resources available for mental health. So please get yourself educated, support yourself and support others. And I look forward to hearing your feedback on this episode and wishing you all the best for the day ahead. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.